This, this is The Industry. A show built by the working class for the working class. If you have a job, this is the podcast for you. Here is your host, Levi Jett.
Hey, thanks again, Levi. I'm meteorologist Brad Miller at WeatherWorks Consulting Meteorologists and the co-host of our very own podcast called The Weather Lounge. Today is Monday, December the 12th, and the week actually begins rather quiet across the United States. One system just exited off the East Coast Sunday night after producing widespread snowfall for the interior northeast. Boston saw some snow on Sunday, and it was plowable in Hartford, but the rest of the big cities along the I-95 corridor only saw rain, with just a little bit of snow Sunday night in New York City. Our attention now turns to a developing storm system over the western U.S. This will gather strength over the next 24 to 48 hours and produce heavy snow and blizzard conditions across the Rockies and eventually the northern plains by midweek. Meanwhile, on the warm side of this storm, the risk for severe weather will increase in the southern plains on Tuesday, then extend eastward into the Mississippi Valley and eventually the southeastern U.S. later this week. Gusty thunderstorms will develop along with the possibility of tornadoes in these areas as Gulf moisture gets drawn northward into the storm. Then we focus on the Ohio Valley, mid-Atlantic and northeast as this system continues its trek eastward. With cold air already in place, we'll look for wintry precipitation to develop starting Thursday, then spread into New England by Friday. Still uncertainty with the eventual track of this system as low pressure is expected to redevelop somewhere off the east coast. If this occurs slowly and more off the coast of New England, then wintry weather will be confined to interior areas with mainly rain expected along the I-95 corridor and a snow-to-rain scenario in between. However, if low pressure is able to redevelop a bit faster and farther south and closer to, let's say, the Delmarva, then that would bring the possibility for wintry weather closer to the big cities in the Northeast. There are, of course, other solutions that fall in between all of this. And at the same time, this system at the end of the week will have the potential to produce a fair amount of ice across interior parts of the Northeast and New England as well. Plenty of time to watch and see how things unfold over the next few days. But either way, confidence is increasing in a high-impact event between Thursday and Saturday. Levi, back to you. Welcome back to the industry. So glad to be joined by our next guest. He is Neil Glatt, the managing partner and co-founder of growthebench.com. Formerly of Case Snow Management was um, a very, very important piece in Case's growth. And we'll be asking him about that. He is also a certified strength coach through Gallup and a John Maxwell certified coach, speaker, and trainer. He is really pretty much the king of sales, uh, Neil Glatt. Neil, so happy you could join us. Hey, thanks for having me, Levi. I'm excited to hop on. Awesome, sir. So I think that there's a decent amount of people in the industry who know who you are, but um, give us the two-minute backstory, the down and dirty of Neil Glatt and how yeah, you got well, here. Well, there's probably a lot of people who I know that don't know my backstory, actually. But I, I was born and raised in Southern California. I graduated high school out there. So I never even had an idea of what snow was until I went to college. And I went to college in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where we get 300 inches of snow. So I found out really quickly what snow was. Um, but I always wanted to go into sales. I just, I loved selling. I think my first real experience of it was when I was maybe 12 years old selling popcorn at a Boy Scout fundraiser. And I was the county's top sales guy. I got a college scholarship for how much popcorn I wow. sold. And, and I just love the, the rush of it. Yeah. I was out there at 6 AM knocking on doors, you know, people answering their pajamas and slinging popcorn on the first, <laughs> the first day of the sales window. Cause I do look, if this guy goes to the store, he's going to buy from someone else. Right. Sure. So I had that hustle and that drive. And, and, um, for me, sales is just this beautiful thing where when you do it right, the people get something awesome. You get something awesome. Right. And they're not settling for something that, that they don't really want. We've all had that experience where you buy something and it's just, it's not a good experience. Right. So good sales is really about, uh, understanding the person in front of you and, uh, connecting with them and, and, 
um, really good sales is telling them when you don't think that your solution is actually the best one, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I went to school for marketing, um, picked up a degree in Spanish while I was there as well, worked for a small landscape and snow company out of college in, in 2009 uh, for about a year. I figured out I really liked the snow and I really hated the landscaping. Um, I just wasn't smart enough or thick skinned enough to have some lady yell at me about the color of the flowers. So, um, <laughs> I, I mentioned that to my current business partner, Phil Harwood. Uh, so I think I'm looking for a change. I really like the snow stuff. And he goes, you got to meet these guys in Boston. So in 2010, I flew out to this snow symposium, uh, in Providence. I hung out with Jason case and Bill Corello got to meet them. They kind of pitched their vision and uh, seven days later, I was flying out with two bags, and uh, I actually moved into Jason's guest room for a couple of weeks till I got an apartment. So, so how was that? How was living in Jason Case's guest room? So, I mean, he was just a normal guy, right? Like, look, we had one pickup truck for the company. He was he was taking the division from his dad and starting it on his own, and it was just the three of us. Um, I found an apartment really quick, but. We were great friends. I mean, um, uh, for for a large part of my career, I was probably closer to him than I was to my own brother. And um, it was just this tight-knit team. Katie Raymond came on a year after I started, and um, we had a lot of other people who contributed to that success for, for shorter amounts of time. And uh, it was just a blast to really see how big we could grow and how fast we could grow. And that's what I love to do was selling. So um, I did that for seven years. We went from uh, about a million in revenue when I started to about 42 million in revenue when I left. And mm. then in 2017, um, decided it was time for uh, a little bit of a new chapter and um, felt like I needed to uh, help some other businesses. Felt like I had set up so much uh, procedurally there that um, I could afford to move on without jeopardizing other people's careers and to be honest was probably even holding the organization back in a lot of ways and um made the toughest decision of my career for sure and uh you know when i told jay hey here's what i think uh i'm gonna do he said i I know exactly what you're feeling man you feel like you're abandoning your family but that you have this opportunity that you can't pass up on i said yeah that's exactly it he goes i was i was your same age at the time when when uh, I, I took the snow division from my dad's company and he said, I know exactly what you're going through. And he goes, you got to go try it. And yeah. if you, he goes, all I ask is that if, uh, you, you find out you don't like it, just call me first. And so that was so great. I mean, he was, um, uh, my mentor, my friend still is, and, and really has, um, been able to to help me so much and, and really that conversation i'll never forget because it's what allowed me to take that plunge so we set up a plan a six-month transition plan uh so we had that conversation in april and november i was i was done and um launched my own consulting company launched uh, grow the bench for online video training for the industry and then uh, a couple years later we ended up acquiring Snowfighters institute as well um, where we do in-person events so um, found plenty of ways to stay busy, got to help lots and lots of companies every day, um, grow and make work less stressful. And, uh, yeah, I love what I get to do now. That's really so awesome. Such an awesome story. So <clears throat> normally I ask a couple more softball questions, but you answered that first one. So, well, we're just going to move straight to it. <laughs> so tell me what is a sales process? You know, a sales process is is by definition really simple. It's just uh, a set of steps that you follow in order to get a result. Um, the best best comparison is probably just a recipe, right? A recipe is a set of steps that you follow, and when you follow them the same way with the same ingredients, you get the same result every time. Um, that that recipe or that process can be as complex as you want. You can have lots of steps. You can have a few steps, um, and and sub steps and and whatever. And uh, but at the end of the day, it's just having a standard way of going about sales to ensure that you get them. Okay. Okay. So going a little further here. So one of the things I see in the industry a lot 
um, are providers that tend to be overextended. Um, they just, and it, it's an obvious reason of why it happens. I mean, they're, you know, chasing the almighty dollar and, um, it's hard to say no sometimes, even though you probably should. Sure. Um, what is your best advice to stop this trend, um, for providers to kind of, you know, stay in, um, you know, stay within, stay true to their process? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why people overextend. Um, one is because they haven't managed their finances well and they're desperate for money. Um, two, because they haven't actually looked at their production and they don't realize that they're overextending themselves. Right. Or three is a client has kind of forced them to. And that happens often too, especially as you get bigger. Um, and so, you know, the, Sometimes it's it's debatable whether somebody's overextended. There's a gray area, right? And um, what what has always served me well is watching the right metrics. And so when somebody's overextending, it's probably because they don't know or they haven't paid attention to some of the important numbers in their business. Uh, but when I tell people that, usually they think, oh, Neil's saying I need to work better at, at profit or I need to work better at efficiency. And actually, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's a metric that should be your your number one guiding light. Those other ones are critical too to stay in business. But the number one um, uh, metric that I cared about was what's the customer lifetime value here? Meaning how much will this customer spend over their and my lifetime if I do right by them? And so that gives perspective on what this relationship's really worth. And means, okay, if it's a one uh, property situation and I overextend myself, then the customer lifetime value is going to be one season, half a season, right? Maybe even negative if they sue me, if I, if I screw <laughs> up. Uh, but on the other hand, when I was doing some bigger portfolio work with Case, there were times where a customer would call us and say, I need you to go to Pennsylvania, which might as well have been the moon at the time, right? Sure. And, and, in that case, it was actually supportive of the customer lifetime value. We would expand our market. We would earn those sites. Um, and they would be upset and and maybe cut us back if we didn't say yes, right? And so in that case, the overextension is somewhat justified or required by the customer. And so I, I've always found that, that customer lifetime value is the equilibrium or, or the way to decide whether I'm pushing it too far or not in addition to those other metrics that, that we already know and, and maybe pay attention to already. Sure. So a follow-up to that. So is that just kind of with the customers kind of, you know, dictating um, how it happens and, you know, you have to do this or we're going to take, you know, other things you're working on. Is that just kind of the way it goes or is there something that, you know, you could do to say, Hey, look, you know, we're, we're all about you. We want to help you, but this is going to kill us. Everything's a negotiation, Levi, right? So you always have that ability. Um, but we we would just sit back and, and it wasn't like the customer was threatening us. It was just this risk reward, right? Do we want to be the hero that, that really comes through because we're going to use that against the customer for more sites? Or do we want to say, listen... We can't jump that high um, and then see what happens, right? And and every relationship, but also the customer relationship, is either growing or contracting, right? It's either getting better or getting worse. There's no stagnation with relationships. And so when the ask comes in, you don't have to say yes. And, and it's fine to say no, but you have to understand that this is a rare opportunity to really prove your value. And so, um, you know, when we're doing preseason planning, um, when you get to a certain point, you should be able to expect some of those things. I mean, the easiest sale ever is to come in and swoop up a failure, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you are saying, I want to grow, uh, I want to do better, I want to get more money or more profit, then I would say, okay, go invest in your sales ability, but then utilize it midwinter too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, so what is one more 
piece in your fleet look like? Talking about, you know, an increase capacity of 2%, 5%, 10%. It's not going to kill you. You're going to leverage it if it snows, depending on your market, right? And you're going to be able to pick up something that's really good potentially. Absolutely. So speaking of price, um, prices, prices fluctuate every year. That's, you know, that's just how it goes. But this year, inflation is something that's really taken center stage. Yep. Um, so what are some suggestions that you would make to providers that are just at a point where they're like, hey, I, I just can't do it um, for the money that I agreed to do it for? Yeah, you know, uh, that's, well, for me, right, if I write a contract, I stand behind it. Um, I just, I view that as sticking to your word, right? So if you're mm-hmm. in contract and you're finding you can't do it, um, you know, my my go-to is suck it up and then go to renew. Sure. But I would let them know, hey, listen, I'm going to suck it up, but I'm also going to renew for 30% more because I'm losing money, right? Yeah. Um, I, I just do not understand this uh, thing that happens in our industry all the time where a proposal or, or a contract is really just an estimate. Um, for me, it, it's it just reeks of unprofessional, right? And I have no patience for that. But at the time of renewal, right, where a customer is saying, hey, keep this for the same or keep this for only 5% and you know your numbers and you know you can't make it, you can't sign up for something that's going to be a losing proposition, right? Because all of our pricing is uh, truly a guess, right? Like we have a price that we've given a good guess behind, but then what happens in the field is going to dictate the amount of profit. And, and that's going to come down to the duration of the event, the consistency of the snow, you know, the, the temperature, the so many different factors, right? And so, um, if you are limiting your potential for profit by having something that, that doesn't support those numbers, you have no chance of ever winning. As long as you can have some, some, some profit in your, your estimate or your, your contract, then at least you stand a chance at winning some profit through your field performance. Yeah. So so why would you move forward with something that's a guaranteed loss? You can't, right? Um, but I think most people are finding themselves in this situation because they haven't been consistently raising prices. And, you know, if you just raised your price 5% a year for the past five years, you would be uh, all set with the inflationary pressure. Now you have to raise your price 25% because you haven't done it and you can't. So you settle for 12 and is that enough? Is that not enough? I don't know, man. I mean, um, for inflation, yeah, maybe it's enough, but not when you consider the, the increasing wages, not when you consider the, uh, added cost of equipment and supply chain, you know, issues. And so, um, it's a big problem. And at the end of the day, uh, it's market rates that somewhat prevail, right? You can't be the only one out there charging a thousand bucks for a pickup truck and have customers right. go for it. So, so price matters a little bit. Um, and uh, I think that at the same time, as, as I'm talking about this from a sales side, we got to talk about from an operation side, which is go get efficient. The cool thing is there's never been more better equipment than we've had ever, Right. And um, even though, you know, big box plows for heavy equipment have been around for like 25 years, now they're affordable, the, the maintenance is better, they're more durable, they're, they can push more, you know, <clears throat> even though we've had plows uh, forever, now we have equipment that's built for sidewalks, you can replace 10 guys with one. And so um, just like someone who who decides to cut lawns with a pair of scissors can never ever win. If you're still out there trying to plow, you know, with with something tiny on a jeep or, um, you know, at one end of the spectrum versus the guys with the big loaders that can get the efficiency, you know, I don't know where your operation falls, but you got to look at it that way and say, how can we invest to get more efficient here? Absolutely. All right. So, tell me about the Snowfighters Institute. And grow the bench. So yeah, um, let's do grow the bench first, right? Grow the bench 
was based on a concept that I had at Case Note Management, which is first we would get everybody together to train them in person, and that was fine. But then we grew a little bit and people got busy and some people wouldn't make the trainings. And so then we had to do two trainings or three trainings ourselves. And next thing you know, I'm spending my whole November training instead of actually, uh, you know, making any progress on the business. And so then I had the idea, okay, well, why don't I just train somebody else to train all these people? But they couldn't train the people like I trained the people and it didn't work that well, right? And then there, with both those situations, there was always this problem where we're hiring people midwinter, we're replacing people and they didn't get the training, good or bad. And so how do we fix that, right? And finally, we said, you know what, let's just take a portion of this training electronic. And we built what we called Case University. And when you got hired at Case, you would watch some videos. I'm probably still in them, right? Teaching you some basics about uh, our business. Um, we would teach people how to do timesheets. We would. We even had a couple videos on snowblowers and plow hookups. And we would accomplish a bulk of training with video. And then we would also uh, uh, instruct our field managers to do more in the field on hands-on training, right? And we'd have trainings in the office too. So we it was a, a big new tool to our toolbox of leveraging technology for training. So my partner, Phil Harwood, um, called me up and said, I have a business idea. And he pitched me the idea of Grow the Mensch. And he said, as a consultant, I get to spend all this time with owners and senior managers, but I never get to spend any time with people in their their uh, operations management. And they're the ones who really need the training because they're making stuff happen. And he goes, I know you built this case university. Would you consider helping me build this thing? And so we started Grow the Bench. And it's this tool in a training toolbox for companies. It doesn't replace your training, but it makes the... It makes it so that you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on a nighttime training with with food and trying to raffles and, and trying anything to get the people there and then only getting a portion of your people trained, right? Um, so it's available on your phone. The videos are like 15 minutes. Uh, we're up to like 450 videos on this website. Wow. Yeah. And so it covers everything from um, sales to management to time management to professionalism to recruiting. Um, you name it, that's a soft skill. We leave the hard skills to the individual companies because your manufacturers have great videos. Your field staff have great knowledge. You can you can train on that. Snowfires Institute is only for snow. Grow the benches for landscape and, and snow. Uh, Snowfires Institute is just for snow, and it's really just in person, although uh, occasionally we do a small virtual event. But the, the real meat of Snowfires Institute is for two days – Let's go to some really cool uh, manufacturer locations. So we go to Caterpillar, we go to Fisher Plows, we go to Western Plows. Uh, we've been to Ventrac. Um, we're going to Hot Pink De-Icer uh, facility. Somewhere around the country, you pick the event. The event has a focus. It could be a sales focus. It could be an operations focus, or it could be a focus for CEOs and, um, and senior managers for like a total business uh, planning. And uh, for two days, we're going to network, we're going to learn, we're going to um, uh, really do a lot of the planning for our business that we never seem to have time from. And we're going to have some good food, we're going to have some good drinks, we're going to tour some awesome locations and um, make some lifelong friendships with people around the country. And uh, it's funny, we, we said, hey, do you guys need like um, any any?" interest in a peer group or continuing the conversation and they're like oh we're all in group chat like we're good right and there are these relationships that are five years old with people who stay, stay in touch because they met at a snow fighters institute event That's and we awesome. love that that happens right so um really cool really exciting um once you attend you get invited to some cool stuff like uh we're going to caterpillar's um, proving ground in Tucson, Arizona. Mm. They have over 6,000 acres of Sonoran Desert where they test out and demonstrate their mining equipment. Wow. The kind of stuff you have to walk up three staircases to get to the camp yeah. for. Yeah. So we're going out there for two and a half days. We're staying at this casino. It's got mm. golf. It's got spa. It's got gaming. It's got food. And um, when you come to a Snowfighters event, uh, 
everything's covered. Your meals are set, your your education's set. They're small groups. It's a really an intimate experience uh, with maybe about 20, 30 people max. And so um, it's a great time. And if you are interested in increasing your snow business from a sales op- uh, standpoint, an operation standpoint, or just overall um, planning and strategic growth, um, you want to check out snowfightersinstitute.com to see the five events we have planned for 2023. Awesome. So... How is both of these different um, from the Snow and Ice Management Association or the ASCA that are both, you know, training um, training organizations for snow? Uh, how is this different? I mean, I, I know Grow the Bench is online and, and the Snow Fighters is in person, but as far as just um, overall experience, I mean, how is it different? Yeah, certainly we are all out there providing education for snow. So um, there's there's some uh, identity within there. But within that, I think there are a lot of differences. For one, we, we're not an association, so we don't charge membership fees. Um, we also don't issue certifications, right? Um, we don't do any legislative work. We leave that to the ASCA, who does a phenomenal job. And um, we actually think that you need to participate in all three, to be honest with you. Um, The uh, ASCA has been mostly um, uh, known for their publication of the industry standards and getting the ISO certification for snow. And so they are um, very much more high level uh, than we are. They're very much focused on um, the industry uh, well-being, the industry legislation, the industry um, uh, uh, guidelines and standards, and um, that's a critical role that they play. Um, the education, the certification is part of it too, and yeah, there's a little overlap with some of our courses there, but um, our courses primarily are focused on the soft skills uh, rather than the technical stuff, and Sima's education is um, primarily on the technical Right, the advanced snow manager uh, course is is very technical, uh, very in the field, um, and their education is is a little bit of a grab bag. But they're servicing a, a wide audience, and um, you know their trade show is is by far the biggest. Right, so if you want to go look at a bunch of pretty equipment, kick the tires, Sima is your place for sure. If you want to get involved in legislation and um, making things happen from that political governmental uh, governance side, I think ASCA is your spot. And if you just want real hands-on practical education for kind of your middle management to to higher level people, I think I think we're your guys. Nice. Okay. So a question I ask um, most guests. So I always say the facilities management industry, uh, specifically snow, is kind of a hidden industry. Yeah. It's, it's not something that really stands out to grab. You don't have people in college saying, hey, as soon as I get out of here, um, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Um, so what is your recruiting message um, on behalf of facilities management to those outside of the industry to maybe – uh, folks that are in college right now, or maybe they're just in another industry and could be looking for a change. Yeah. You know, I was just with a group of, of college kids and they're out there looking for a job and, and uh, graduating in business and the economy is starting to wane a little bit, right? Um, they're seeing all the big layoffs at the big tech companies and they're thinking, man, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And so my pitch to them is one, consider working for a small company. In a small company, you can make all kinds of things happen. You can try stuff that you're going to have to wait 10 years in your career to try at a big you know, Fortune 500. Two, for snow removal, it's actually pretty awesome, right? Like one, we, we have the opportunity to make a lot of money. And two, we're out there saving people's lives, right? Like when I was hiring snow shovelers, I used to tell them, we're going to work really hard at these pharmacies because our grandparents have to get their medication, 
We're going to work around the clock at the supermarket because everybody has to buy food to feed their families. That's right. Like we're taking care of these utility companies so that they can restore power and heat in the worst blizzards that New England has ever seen. And people don't freeze to death in their homes. We're working on the the roads and the transportation centers here so people can still get to their jobs and provide for their family. If we don't do our job, society ceases to function. You only have to look back um, 50 years, the blizzard of 1978 in New England and <laughs> Michigan, right? Yeah. Society literally stopped for a week and people died. Yep. Thousands of people died because there was no professional snow removal companies. So how can you not be interested in that? Versus anything else that just, you know, maybe it's a nice to have. Maybe it makes sure. things look better. And and other trades are similar. I mean, I was with the Arborist uh, Association a few weeks ago. You know that spending time regularly around trees is proven to increase health, to increase life expectancy, to decrease depression. And there's a whole website on the Harvard School of Public Health dedicated to the health benefits of trees. Wow. Right. So like like facilities management and what we do is so critical. It's so important. Um, there's been this uh, rise of what we call non-places, right? These places with no identity, uh, a shopping mall, an airport. You have no idea where you are. And, and landscaping and snow removal allow us to be outside the natural environment and change that. Um, and and embrace the the planet in in a way that I think it was intended to be, and we need to do a better job uh, talking about that stuff rather than just worried about the equipment, worried about the performance of their profit, um, getting caught up in in the daily decisions. Because when you lose sight of that purpose and vision, that's when we lose people and and effort, and that's what's happened to our industry, uh, or at least the companies who are struggling. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, all right. So just about done here. Got a couple of questions left. So college graduate, business owner, co-founder, um, you know, going to a company to, to, um, change, you know, their outlook, uh, completely. What is all this success meant to you personally? You know, um, for me, success has really been helping people change their life. And uh, when we consider well-being, I consider it from five areas. Uh, career well-being, physical well-being, um, community well-being, social well-being, and financial well-being. And if what I can do uh, with my, my job helps someone dramatically improve how they function in those five interdependent areas, um, improve their outlook on life. Um, maybe it's make more money and get to that next level of their business. Maybe it's provide jobs for other people. Maybe it's just work less and make the same and spend more time with their family and be a better, you know, husband, wife, father, son, mother, daughter, cousin, whatever. Um, if, if I can help someone with those things, then I feel like I'm really changing the world, at least for them. And and to me, that's all that matters anymore, to be honest with you. And there's one number in my business that I really, really care about, and that is percentage of income given to charity. And that is the number that I strive every day to increase and why I charge so much for what I charge. And um, I won't share what that number is, but um, that's that's kind of what I'm focused on right now in life is – how do I uh, find well-being in those five areas and how do I do more to help others? Nice. That's so awesome. Um, there, so something about this industry, there's a lot of companies and organizations that do a lot of work in giving back and charitable relations. And that's something that I, I don't think that you see. I mean, you see it around, but... In this industry, there's a lot of it for some reason. Yeah, and I think we could do a lot more. And that's why I'm so, so uh, on fire for people to increase their profits, right? Because you can't do that if you're not making money. Sure. And, and you know, a kickback of, of 10%, I mean, little old ladies give 10%. 
You know what I mean? We can do better. We can do a whole lot more if we could just learn to sell and grow and manage our business in a way that wasn't super stressful. So that's what I'm after to try and inspire. All right. So last question, a uh, question every guest has to answer. So what advice would you give to someone that is earlier in their professional journey than you are? So from my experience, I've had the most success by staying off of social media and hiring the right coaches. Okay. And I'm part of all the same Facebook groups that we all are. And you see all the questions getting asked. And um, I don't I don't fault the people asking questions, but you're asking the wrong group. And um, I'd, even ask, I'd even say evaluate your peer group, right? The people who you surround yourself with are the ones who you're going to become like. And if you're not hanging out with someone who really inspires you by what they know or what they've done, um, then I don't think you're going to get to the level that you want to be. And I've only found that through hiring real professional coaches. I've done it for sales. I've done it for speaking. I've done it for management. I've done it for marathon running. I've done it for every area of my life that I truly want to uh, improve in. I hire a coach. I grind it out. I've paid for it myself. And I, I learn from other people's lifetimes of experience rather than just the thinking of the crowd because the thinking of the crowd is not good in our industry. Yeah. So, okay, bonus question because I forgot about the marathon thing. Yes. Um, so, okay, you've run the Boston Marathon twice. Yes. And then the Chicago Marathon. Yep. Uh, tell me about, I mean, what's that even like? It's hard. um marathoning is a fascinating process it is um somewhere around 20 to 30 weeks of peer dedication that nobody cares about right Right. (laughs) nobody cares that you ran five times a week for five months nobody cares that you woke up early on a saturday to go grind out eight or 15 miles But on one day, at the very end of it, you get to run in front of tens of thousands of people and get a medal that is like ultra prestigious, right? Yeah. Um, And you get all the payoff on that one day. And if you do it like I do it, you raise a ton of money and awareness for charities too. Um, So it's pretty wild, the amount of discipline, um, the amount of sacrifice, uh, the amount of good you can do and that the payoff is all on one day. Yeah. That, that is awesome. Um, yeah. Never, never something that I've, you know, thought about doing. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's crazy though to, uh, so what made you um, choose the marathons you, you chose to run? Oh, so I don't do anything less than awesome. And so there's plenty of marathons, but there are six world major marathons. And they are Boston, Chicago, New York, Tokyo, London, and Berlin. And I live in Boston. And in Boston, the Boston Marathon is um, a true statewide event. And uh, like, like schools are closed, work is canceled, and you go out and you watch on Marathon Monday um, some 30,000 people run 26.2 miles from Hopkinton to Boston. And so I was like, I'm going to do that, right? Like you are revered in Boston when you walk around with the medal the next day. So that's how I chose Boston. And then um, I was invited to run Chicago by a friend with his charity. So I was like, yeah, that's great. Okay. And um, now that charity has invited me to run New York and Berlin. So we'll see which one's next. Um, But yeah, that's, that's the next step. That's sweet. That's awesome. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate you joining the show so much. I uh, can't wait to have you back again later on. Um, yeah, you doing a lot of good work out there and uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Hey, thanks, Levi. All right. So that was Neil Glatt, the co-founder of Grow the Bench and um, just an awesome sales coach, awesome person, and so glad he can join us. 
And again, that was Neil Glatt from the Snow Fighters Institute and Grow the Bench. Uh, so grateful for Neil coming on to join us to have a conversation. Uh, just about to wrap it up here. Wanted to wish my beautiful wife, Morgan, a happy birthday. Today is her birthday. Um, also wanted to let you know that I believe, um, the next episode, I will be joined by a co-host. So some very exciting news there. Um, next week we will talk to Frank Lombardo from the Weatherworks team. And, um, he is the founder of Weatherworks and that's going to be a really, really great interview next week. Um, as always, if you have any questions, inquiries, comments, suggestions, anything for the show, please reach out to me, Levi at jetfacilityconsultants.com. That's J-E-T-T facilityconsultants.com. If you like the show, please subscribe. Please give us a rating, a review. Tell people about us. Uh, the download numbers are going crazy right now. Um, we're just about to hit a thousand downloads for the show all time. That's, uh, before this one's even due to be released. So that's just on four episodes. Um, and never really thought that, uh, we get there that quick, I guess. So good stuff though. Um, really appreciate this support and we will be talking again next week. Thanks for listening to The Industry, a show built by the working class for the working class. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review.